Well, good morning. Yes, my name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors at Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And it's such a joy for me to be here at Newfoundland. I've never been here before. And um, so we arrived on Thursday or very early in the morning on Friday. My friend Aaron and I showed up here. And it has been very, very um, foggy. And so everybody has been saying, oh, you know, Newfoundland is so beautiful, the beautiful sights. Yeah, right. You know, so no beautiful sights here. Nothing but uh, fog um, throughout our stay here. But today the sun is out. So I'm kind of seeing some glimpses of the beauty of this part of the world. It's such a joy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting myself to be a part of your service this morning. A very warm welcome to those who are watching online as well. It is great that you would choose to join us. Now, you will need a Bible, and if you have one, you will go to the passage we just read, Luke 7, 18 to 23. Before we work our way through this text, a few things about me that you might want to know. First, of course, uh, I am not Canadian by birth. So I am from Kenya, born, brought up in Kenya, uh, lived there for many years, pastored a church in Scotland for a bit, and then came on to Canada seeking high education and things like that. Married with four children. I've been in this country for the last 23 years. So I've been here a while. And the Lord has been faithful indeed to myself, to my family. I'm the only one of my three brothers who lives overseas. Everybody lives back in Africa, so I consider myself a missionary to this country, which might be strange to some of you who are Canadians, but yeah, the Lord is moving and working and moving missionaries from different parts of the world and moving them to other parts of the world. That's a little bit about myself, but before we jump into the Word of God together, I'd like to pray one more time and ask the Lord to lead us. Now, before I pray, though, one encouragement to all of you listening. In many ways, we, we pray and we ask God to, to, um, to bless the preacher before the service, right? But can I just ask, every single time, if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, every single time you hear a sermon, can you be praying for yourself? Pray for yourself. Because when you're hearing the word of God opened, this is God speaking through his words to you. And you want to pray that the word of God would find soft soil in your heart. Because some of the things that are said from the word of God can be hard. And it's not easy to live out the implications of the gospel as you hear it proclaimed. So even as I pray before I preach and I'm praying for myself that God would grant me clarity as I speak and pray for you. Be in much prayer for yourself. That the word of God would find soft soil in your heart and bear fruit a hundredfold. Okay? So let's pray together. So Father, Father, we pray this day, I pray this day, that you would be honored and glorified as we look at your word. We pray, dear Father, I pray for myself that you'd grant me your spirit and help me to speak with boldness and clarity as we work through this text. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning, and I ask, dear Lord, would you soften hearts? Would you open eyes? Would you open ears? That as your word is proclaimed, that your spirit would be doing his transforming work. That, Father, we would end up being doers of your word and not hearers only. Transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, um, many years ago in Africa, as I said, I grew up in Kenya. Many years ago in Kenya, uh, there's a friend of mine. His name is Zoro. So, Zoro is a wonderful man. He's an elder of our church. We had a huge church in Nairobi, the capital where I grew up. And so, I was going to this Baptist church in Nairobi. Zoro was one of the elders there. He was a lovely guy. He was this person. If you're moving and you ask for people to help you, Zoro would be the first guy. If you were in need, financial need or relational, whatever, whatever need you had, Zoro would always be one to raise up his hand and show, show up there. Zoro was married two children, young, both kids under five, beautiful wife Lillian. And so one evening, Zorro goes to visit our friend Brian and his wife. And so they go for a fellowship. Now Zorro and his wife Lillian just went, left their kids with, with a relative just to, to babysit. And so Zorro goes because him and Brian are very good friends and Lillian and Brian's wife are good friends. So they'll have a wonderful dinner and a wonderful evening together. So after dinner and and chit-chat and board games and all those fun things that you would do with very close friends and just talking about life and heart-to-heart conversations, it's time to go back home. And so Zorro bids his buddy uh, Brian farewell, and he leaves with his wife Lillian. Lillian is driving. And so they're driving uh, back to their home. Now, in Africa, and particularly in Nairobi, the region where Zorro lived, there weren't a lot of streetlights. And it's dark at night, and the stars are beautiful, but you can hardly see, so it's just the vehicle headlights. So Lillian is driving, and they're just uh, talking about their visit, how wonderful it was, and this and that. All of a sudden, this gang of young men with guns jump onto the streets with guns pointed to the car. And so, of course, they panic, and they're freaking out, and, and the guns are pointed. And so Lillian steps on the brakes, and they're wondering, what do we do? What do we do here? And so as they have stopped, the gang comes to both sides of the vehicles. They open the doors. One of the young men with a gun puts a gun underneath Lillian's ribs and fires. And of course, she slumps down and bleeding everywhere. And Zoro is hysterical right now. And they are kicking and punching and beating him up. And so now he begins to play, and so they drag Lillian, throw her on the side of the road, and they want to steal the car and take it away. And so he pleads with them, please, please, you can take the car, you can take our money, but just drop me off at the nearest hospital. So they, okay, fine, we'll take it to the nearest hospital. They drag Lillian in, and now Lillian is on Zorro's lap, and these gangsters who are higher than high because they're using drugs, they're driving to the hospital, they get a block away from the hospital, kick Zorro out. Now his wife is on his arms, bleeding away, her life is sipping, and she's whispering in his ear, take care of the kids, take care of the kids, Take care of the kids. He comes right to the door of the hospital and she dies in his arms. Here's my question Lord, why? Lord, why? Zoro is a great guy. He mentored me and many other young men, a lovely man of God. And every time I think about this, I get very emotional. Because I knew Lillian personally. She worked at a bank. A remarkable woman. Lord, why? Why would you let this happen to this man? 
If anything, we know that this guy is a wonderful person. Lillian is a remarkable woman. And now he's been widowed with two children. Really, Lord, you would do this? Why would you do this? And there are multiple stories you might tell about all sorts of people. A week and a half ago on Wednesday, I did a memorial service of a young woman who was 24 years old. Her husband is 22. They're barely, they're still newlyweds. Come home in the evening, they do dinner together. He leaves her washing, she leaves him cleaning the dishes, goes out on a walk, a drunk driver hits her, she dies. Why? And there are so many challenges, and maybe this is also your story. You hear those watching online, maybe this is your story where you're serving Christ, you're trying to be faithful, you're doing all these wonderful things for, lo- for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, tragedy comes, hardships come, and you wonder, Lord, why? Why? See, the story that was read in Luke 7, John the Baptist is asking the same question. Jesus has been doing some remarkable ministry. Miraculous signs have been happening. We'll talk about those in a bit. And as Jesus is doing these remarkable things, uh, John's disciples come and tell him what Jesus is doing. And John is so confused because he's in prison. And so he sends the two disciples to say, Lord, um, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we wait for another? Are you truly who you say you are? Or should I, should we wait for another? And it's interesting that it's John the Baptist who's asking these questions because we'll talk a little bit about who he is. So the two, two points in my sermon this, this morning, the first is there's a servant's question. This, John is asking, there's a servant's question, Lord, are you the one? And then there is a Savior's response. Jesus does respond, and his response is quite interesting that we look at. So, a servant's question. The story of John. John the Baptist, the guy asking this question. Who was John? Well, if you go back to Luke chapter 1, you will see the story of John. This is an individual who an angel showed up to his dad. Before he was conceived in his mom's womb, an angel shows up. To announce his birth. So this was an extraordinary birth. His mom was old. Dad was old. They had been praying for a child and nothing coming. Mom not pregnant. Nothing. Praying and praying and praying. So an angel shows up. And declares. And in fact. It's not just the angel who shows up. But for John. He was filled with the spirit of God. While he was in his mother's womb. Think about that. So talk about someone who was anointed even while he was still in the womb. This is John the Baptist. Not only that, the angel said that John will turn the hearts of many of the nation of Israel back to the Lord. So in other words, this is an individual whom God had anointed specifically for God's ministry. Remarkable guy. 
And then John begins his ministry, and you can read in Luke chapter 3, oh my, the kind of preaching that John did, he was not a shrinking violet in any sense, in any way, shape, or form. Why? He was so bold and so in your face among the religious leaders and everybody who would have been opposing him. John was clear when it comes to the gospel, not ashamed in any way, shape, or form. But then here, here, we see him asking a question. Are you the one or should we wait for another? See, I told you I grew up in Africa. So there's a lady I know, an older lady. She's probably in her 70s right now, this woman. And this woman, her husband is, a, is an alcoholic. He drinks and drinks and drinks so much that not only will he, will he urinate on himself, he'll also defecate on himself. In the home. And she would have to clean it. He would call her all sorts of names. Foul names. And beat her up physically. She's been praying for this man for over 50 years. This woman. And no change. If anything, the more she prays, the worse he gets. He has sold everything from the home. Now, if you asked me, who would I, who would I consider a prayer warrior? This woman would be one of those people. This is the kind of person who everybody knows she prays. You have a prayer need? You have a prayer meeting? You're looking for her. She will be there. A godly woman, and yet her husband is far from it, and she is paying the ultimate price, so to speak, with a man who is not just embarrassing, but this is a torturous lifestyle. She can't leave. Why? Because in Africa, when at least in Kenya, when a woman gets married to a man, her, uh, her father would give her a bed as a wedding gift and the idea here is honey i'm giving you this bed meaning it's a brand new bed meaning you don't have a bed here so you're married to your husband so god bless you honey you now have your home so if it doesn't go well don't come back home expecting there's a bed here there is no bed yeah you got yours now see ya that is how in my culture in kenya that's how it is so when, when things go sideways, the wife can't leave and her identity is tied to her husband and her family. And so for her, she can't leave him because of all of this. Now what? So many, so many pressures of life are pushing against her. And maybe this is you, the pressures of life pushing against you. And you're wondering, Lord, are you even listening to my prayers? Because you've been praying about the financial issue, praying about the relational issue, praying about all sorts of opportunities to open up for you, and they are not. And yet, Pastor Stephen is right here singing about the goodness of God and talking about the goodness of God. And you're sitting there wondering, is he really good? Is he? And that's a real question. That some of us may be shy to speak it out. And yet it might be a question that is real 
for you, a marriage falling apart, your single parent trying to put things together, parents who with troubled children and no relationships there, couples who are having no kids and you desire kids, financial pressure, illness. If you're God, why, why, why are you letting this happen? And maybe some of you here and those watching, maybe that's a question. You have, see, this is the same question that John was asking. Where was John when he was asking this question? John was in prison. And while he was in prison, no, let's, let's talk about why he was in prison. Well, there's a king. The king is Herod. Herod, Herod had a brother. Herod's brother had a wife. So King Herod kind of began lusting after his brother's wife and took her. And John, the prophet of God, looks at Herod and comes to Herod and said, you dirty guy. You nasty man. How dare you? This is your brother's wife. This is unlawful. This is terrible. Herod didn't like this. So what does Herod decide to do? Throw John the Baptist in prison. This is now where John is, in prison. Now, prisons in the first century were not cushy. There was no three square meals. It wasn't comfortable either. In some cases, some prisons were a hole in the ground as deep as the ceiling is in this building. So you're right in a hole in the ground, small, and the only way you get out is by a rope. Some, not all. So we may assume John was probably in one of those. And he's right there. And so can you imagine if you needed to go? There's no sewer. You're in a hole with other prisoners, and maybe it's full. And some of them are ex-cons and, 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 and drug addicts, and, 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 and um, also they're terrible people. And you're there. No showers, so skin disease and all of it. The stench, and this is in Palestine, meaning it's hot and humid. And John was there. Contaminated food, disease, you name it, is in this prison. So it was not a cushy situation. So John is in prison. And his disciples come and say, hey, this guy, Jesus, yeah, he's doing remarkable things. So if you go chapter 7 or chapter verse 1 to 10, there's a story about how Jesus heals a centurion servant. Jesus just spoke and this centurion servant gets healed. Not only that, he raised a widow's son from death to life. This kid was dead. Jesus comes and speaks to the child, and the child sits. And so they're telling John all this stuff. And John is sitting in the prison listening, and he's wondering, okay, okay, okay. So if this guy is the Messiah, and I am preaching the gospel faithfully, why am I here? Why? Why am I in prison? Why am I sitting in this hole would be the question. Rescue me. You and I would be asking the same thing if we were John. And maybe you and I are asking the same question because of our struggles. So the Savior then responds. 
to John. So John sends his two buddies. So this is the second point, serious response. John sends the, his disciples, hey, go and ask the Lord if he's the one. So these two guys come to Jesus and they say, hey, uh, Jesus, John the Baptist sent us to you with a question. Are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? Are you? It's not us asking, it's John. John, John is the one asking, not us. Are you the one? It's interesting, verse 21. In that hour, he, Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So, in other words, they asked Jesus the question. Jesus kind of doesn't answer the question immediately. He might have ignored them. Yeah, you ask the question, but there's crowds and crowds. And so Jesus is doing a lot of ministry. People with diseases are getting healed. Plagues are getting healed. Evil spirits being exorcised. And all these people are watching. Those who are blind, sight bestowed. Can you imagine? Blind guy shows up. Jesus, be healed. And begins to see. Demon, gone. All these things Jesus is doing. And the disciples of John are watching all these things happen. Then verse 22. So this is after an hour. And, and he, Jesus, answered them. Now he's answering the question. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. Okay? The blind receive their sight. The lamb, they walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Wow. So all these things, yeah, go tell John what you have seen and heard. And by the way, I will list them just in case you might have forgotten. And Jesus begins to list the things that the disciples of John would have seen. And then verse 23, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Okay, yeah, see ya. Go tell John. Wow, what kind of an answer is that? It's a simple question. Are you the Messiah? If you are, yeah. If you're not, okay, let us know. What kind of an answer is this? You might wonder. Well, you see, Jesus knew that John the Baptist knew the scriptures well. Jesus knew that John the Baptist knew the scriptures well. And so, Jesus will point John to the prophecies of Isaiah. To say, when Isaiah was prophesying 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. Jesus points John to Isaiah saying, hey, there will be a decisive time of deliverance that will come when the Messiah shows up. So Jesus quoted then in his statement, Isaiah 26, 19, the dead will be raised up. John, you know this. When the Messiah comes, the dead will be raised up. Not only that, Isaiah 35, verse, six, verse 5 to 6, the blind shall see, the deaf shall hear, the mute shall speak, the lame shall walk. John, you know this. When the Messiah comes, those who are blind will see, those who are deaf will hear, those who are mute will speak, those who are lame will walk. And not only that, John, you know, Isaiah 61, 1, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Christ, because he, God, has appointed me, Jesus, to preach the good news to the poor. So in other words, Jesus knows that John knows the scripture. So in other words, what Jesus is saying here, John, hey, 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 John. But he don't get it twisted here. 
I am the real deal. There is no other Messiah you ought to wait for. I am he. Isaiah prophesied about me. I am he. This means this. Today, dear folks, whatever you're going through and the questions you're asking whether God is really there hearing, Jesus would be saying to you today, I am the risen, reigning, sovereign king and savior. I am the Messiah. There is no other. Yes, I know you're going through difficulties. Yes, I know you have challenges and struggles. Yes, I know it's not easy, but I am still Messiah. Don't question. Don't qu- yes, I know you're going through difficulty, but do not question. Don't get it twisted. I am still Messiah. When my gospel is preached, I will draw many to myself. Yes, Jesus still saving. And one day I will come back, Jesus would say, and I will make all things new. Will wipe away all the tears from your eyes. But now you may sit there and say, eh, but Ezra, <laughs> yeah, pastor, thanks for your passion, by the way, and your big eyes is great. But, pastor, really? If truly Jesus is the Messiah, pastor, Why is he not answering my prayers? I still, yeah, pastor, it's great for you to say all you're saying, but I still have prayers that haven't been answered. I still have my cries for help he has not responded to. My broken family is still broken. The sickness in me is still there. So yeah, pastor, it's great that you may say all those things about Christ, but I still have prayers that are yet to be answered. Great question. My friend Zoro had the same questions. This woman, excuse me, this woman in Africa has the same, the same questions. And perhaps you have the same questions too. Where, where, where? But notice verse 23. Verse 23 is a very interesting slash weird verse. Jesus will tack on after, go tell John what you've seen and heard and all those pieces. He will add verse 23, which is a beatitude. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Wow. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The NIV, the New um, International Version uh, translation of the Bible will translate that verse. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on the account of me. Very interesting statement there. And Jesus tacks on that little beatitude as a message to John the Baptist, who at this particular time is having a crisis of faith, same way you and I might when we are going through stuff. And this beatitude was a statement aimed at John directly and also aimed at you and I. Uh, John, or you, you watching, don't fall away on the account of me. What does that mean? See, this means that John assumed that the mission of Christ will be a particular way. So if Jesus is Savior, Messiah, and Lord, then if he is Savior, Lord, there is... I should not be suffering this way if he is Lord. 
I should not, I should be, I shouldn't be going through this stuff if he is Lord. I shouldn't be. So there is an assumption now that in order to follow Christ, there is a particular way. See, it's not only John who had this assumption. Elijah had the same thing. There are many of us and many leaders of the faith who had an idea. If God is truly who he is, then the world ought to be this way. Now, let me poke the bear a little bit. There might be even other churches and other pastors who will preach this. If God is truly God, then he will bless you and you'll have prosperity on this side of eternity. Really? Really? Yeah, there are sometimes God may bless some. Does he bless all? Really? No, no, not on this side of eternity, friends, not on this side. This is why Jesus will say to John, blessed is the one who does not fall away. Do not abandon ship. Do not run away. How about you? Have you abandoned faith? You may say, oh, but Ezra, I'm in church today. I'm not abandoning faith. But let me ask. Let me be a little personal, okay? I'm an African. So as Africans, we sometimes get, we, we get personal. So let me get personal a little bit. You know, there are times when we pray, but our prayer is just perfunctory. Like, I'm just praying because I need to pray, but I don't even think God is going to answer anyway. So you're up functional deist. A deist is someone who believes that God does exist but he's not really interested in your affairs. So God is there but he's not really interested. So I've prayed he doesn't answer so I won't pray because he's not really interested in my stuff. So many of us now become functional deists. We believe in Jesus but we don't pray because I don't think God will answer me anyway. Because he, has, he hasn't answered this. Sickness, financial, relational, whatever. He hasn't answered. Is that you? Have you abandoned sharing the gospel of Jesus? Because you're so discouraged by the weight of your challenge and your struggle. You might be feeling like, Ezra, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I signed up for. I, I, I lived a very good life before I came to Jesus. Now coming to Jesus, oh my goodness, my, my hair's on fire. This is not what I signed up for. See, here's what is interesting. So Jesus receives this message from John's, from John's disciples, right? So now Jesus has been put on notice. Jesus, you know where John is, right? Yeah. Now, if you know your Bible well, what happened to John? Did Jesus do anything to remove him from prison? And uh, no. Jesus was no, on notice. He knows where John is. And Jesus chooses to leave John in prison at the mercy of an adulterous king who ended up decapitating him. This same John who an angel announced his birth. 
Same John who was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mom's womb. Same John who was unapologetic when it comes to the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. Ha! Jesus knew where John was. And he did nothing to save him. Why? The only message John receives from Jesus, ah, do not fall away on the account of me, buddy. Okay. Remember I told you a story about this lady in Africa whose husband is terrible and he's an, he is an alcoholic and he beats her up, sold stuff in the house. He poops on himself when he's drunk in the bed and she has to clean it. This woman is my mother. I have been preaching the gospel for decades. Three decades. So I'm not a rookie when it comes to pastoral ministry. Have I prayed for my father? More than you will know. Today, what time is it in Africa right now? It's probably coming to evening. My dad might go to the pub tonight. And if I call my mother, I will hear what he did and what he called her. Why? What about my friend Zorro? Why? What about you? Why? How then, you may ask, Ezra, do you preach the gospel with such fire and passion as I'm sure you're feeling it right now? How is it that you preach the gospel with such passion, Ezra? Three points and I'm done. Three very quick things. The first thing is I remember eternal life. And in your suffering, remember eternal life. Our Lord Jesus Christ has promised that this suffering will not be forever. There is a shelf life to your pain. It will not last forever. The king is coming. The king is coming. He's on his way. So all this pain and misery and suffering, financial issues, relational challenges, whatever it is, persecution, it will come to an end. It's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever. The king is coming. And when he comes, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more misery. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The king is coming. He is coming. Remember eternal life. It's not your plan, it is his. His plans may not make sense to you. That's okay. One day you will know why. John will know why the Lord left him in prison. On this side of eternity, we may wonder, like, Lord, really? Do you, are you really loving? Because, you know, people are wondering if truly you're God... Either you're not loving or there's something wrong with me. But Lord, you know that I'm faithful. Why are you allowing these things? Because according to the world, if God is really good, you should be happy. But if you're not happy, then either you're terrible or this God is not loving. This is the question, Lord, why? And the Lord will say, it's not your plan, it's mine. But the king is coming. And the promise remains sure. There will be no more pain, no more misery. Second, remember the mission. Remember the mission. 
What's the mission? The mission is to bring glory to God no matter what. We bring glory to God no matter what. So, will God still be honored when I am going through difficulties? Yes. Is still God good? He is. Why? The king is coming. So it doesn't matter whether I'm going through difficulties or challenges or struggles because you never know. Someone may be watching you just suffering but still singing the praise of God and knowing, Lord, I don't know what your plan is, but I know your plan is good. I know your plan is good. I'll give you an illustration. Let's say you live in a duplex and I'm your neighbor. And we live in a duplex and then we go to work, we come back and on our way back we realize our duplex burnt down completely. All our earthly belongings are gone. But you had insurance, I didn't. And now we are standing there and we are mourning the loss of our earthly possessions. How would you be mourning? See, you're mourning, yes, and I am, but we're mourning differently, are we not? Because you know, you'll rebuild again. What about me? See, those of us who know Christ, we bring glory to God. Because we know them, the king is coming. So we maintain mission. Finally, Remember to ask God to continually fill you with his spirit. This is the most important point and I'm done. Remember to ask God to fill you with his spirit. Why? Paul will say in Ephesians 5, do not be drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. If I was drunk with wine right now, I'd probably be dancing and making a fool of myself in front of all of you without maybe my shirt on. I'd be an idiot. You've been to a wedding where the booze is flowing and people were dignified at the ceremony, but around 10 p.m. and the, the bar's been open, they're idiots now, right? They are singing, shuts off, everything. They're making a fool of themselves. They would never do that without alcohol, right? So alcohol has emboldened them to do this. So Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which will lead to this. Rather, be filled with the Spirit of God. Question. Drunk Ezra, we know he's an idiot. Ezra now left with a, to his own, just normal Ezra, yeah, he's shy, he's fine, yeah, he is. What about Holy Spirit-filled Ezra? Who's that guy? See, Holy Spirit-filled Ezra will endure. Holy Spirit-filled Ezra will give glory to God even when circumstances are not favorable. See, the only way my mom is able to love my father is because of the Spirit of God who enables her. She's not a remarkable woman. It's Christ through her that she's able to stand. It's only Christ. So for you, in your pain, in your misery, in your suffering, pray each morning, Lord, fill me with your Spirit today that I may bring you glory and honor even when the days are, are, are dark and evil. This is what we pray. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on the account of me. Will you fall away? Oh, do not fall away, church. Calvary, do not fall away. No matter what, do not fall away. Why? The king is coming. The king is coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For these few moments. We pray dear Lord. 
But if it be your will, relieve us. Save us from the struggles that we are going through. But if it is your will for us to endure, Father, grant us your grace in the midst of it. Thank you for these few moments you've given us to look at your word. Fill your church with your spirit. And Father, for those who are going through hard times right now and are wondering whether you are actually hearing prayers, Lord, I ask, empower and embolden your church with your spirit and remind them that you're coming back soon and their suffering has a shelf life. Commit these things, Lord, to you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Thank you, brother.